Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to reveal God's matchless grace in our oftentimes messy ministries. I'm your host, of course, Brad Gray, and this is episode number two. Today's guest is my good friend, Mitch Miller. Mitch is the lead pastor of Griggs Memorial Baptist Church in my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. It was so encouraging catching up with Mitch and hearing how God's using him to revitalize the church. We also speak to an assortment of topics surrounding God's grace, God's will, and God's church, and the inextricable connection between all three. This episode was a blessing to be a part of for my own heart, and I pray it'll bless you as well. Just a quick note, this episode is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB is the optimal blend of accuracy and readability, providing pastors with a translation that they can trust and lay people with a Bible that they can read for themselves. Find out more at csbible.com. And now for Mitch Miller. Pastor Mitch Miller, how are you doing, sir? Doing awesome. Thanks for having me on. I uh, love chatting with you always, even if other people are listening in. So I'm excited <laughs> for tonight. But yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm sitting in a Starbucks right now. So if you do hear some background noise, that's on me. But funny story, the Wi-Fi is out at my house right now. Uh, I had some electrical issues, whatever. So I was like thinking about that today. I, just before we started, I was like, dude, I don't have Wi-Fi. I better get to a place with some <laughs> Wi-Fi. So if you hear a coffee maker in the background, or if you hear my little daughter, my little daughter's with me. She's just the cutest. If you hear some uh, random uh, baby uh, just kind of start hollering, uh, that's all. That's all good on my end. That's that's, that's what's going on over here. Well, thank God for Starbucks, right? Right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, on that note, uh, if you can um, for me. As we get started here, just sort of introduce yourself, describe yourself in as many words as you feel necessary, and just kind of introduce Mitch Miller to our listening audience, if you could. Uh, yeah, well, um, so I grew up in Indianapolis, uh, had Christian parents who told me the gospel. I ended up following Jesus uh, when I was 17, had a really quick connection um, to you know, or with, you know, with, um, I guess connection's a weird word. I had a really quick draw to preach the Bible, to lead in church, to do ministry. Um, and so, you know, cause my conversion was kind of one of those stories that is a 180 and everybody's got a little bit different story, uh, but getting saved at 17, going from kind of one direction to the other, that drasticness that came along with that kind of led real quick into, well, you know, I need to you know, bring this along to others in more than just, you know, a Christian way, but almost like a pastoral way um, and started aiming at that. And so went to school, uh, same place you went and studied Bible evangelism. With, that was my major and graduated in a little over four years. So not too far off the mark um, and really got to do the best part of, I did some Bible college. Like I said, that the best part of that for me was basically took those four years to just do as much um, ministry stuff as I could from, from mopping the floors to doing, uh, you know, all the kind of, I guess, more traditional um, places you start to serve. I, was, at least, I don't know if everyone would call that traditional, but like, you know, I did like nursing homes and homeless shelters, ministry, 
uh, five church internships. So I am like a church intern expert in some ways, not because I'm that smart of a guy, but and maybe I'm not because I had to do five, but uh, yeah, I did five. So I got a lot of experience. Uh, took a job in Seattle as a youth pastor right out of college and then did that for a couple of years, maybe two and a half years, uh, two years, really lived in Seattle, though, for two and a half years. And then moved back to Greenville, South Carolina, to be a youth pastor at a church called Grace Church. Was there for two and a half years, almost three years, basically. And then now, um, kind of a long story, maybe we'll get into it. But now I'm a pastor, uh, I guess you'd be called the senior pastor, of a little church in Greenville, um, towards downtown Greenville, um, pretty close. And um, just preaching the gospel as faithfully as by God's grace I can and trying to reach a lot of uh, people that don't know Jesus. And so I'm really in the trenches. It's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a couple words you could use to describe it. I guess it's a lot of relational ministry. So I'm spending a lot of time with my people um, and spend a lot of time in the pulpit too. But, you know, doing a lot of life on life, as they say, not the biggest fan of that term, but I guess it's a good way to say it. And mm-hmm. so just trying to be with my people as much as I can and disciple them. Um, and so that's where I'm at right now is in the first year of what I'll call a church revitalization uh, mm. project or for a church revitalization situation. It's not really a project in that I don't tend to leave once it's revitalized. I plan to pastor it or continue to pastor it as it's revitalized. But um, yeah, so basically right now pastoring a little church that um, – Sparing some details has a long history, but recently went through some tough times, um, dwindling down to a small number, small resources, um, things like that. But really, the people who were there, that core was just love Jesus and then brought me in in certain ways to, um, at first as an intern, like kind of volunteer, but then eventually as pastor to bring new energy to the church and uh, bring, uh, you could say bring it back to life, though I wouldn't say it was dead to a T, but bring it back to life and uh, bring some new energy and just continue doing what it has been doing since actually 1936. And that's reaching people um, in our neighborhood, telling them about Jesus. So that's what I'm currently in the middle of. As far as what you need to know about me, um, I'll just tell you, I'm not an expert by any means, definitely still growing. Don't claim to be an expert on anything, um, but the uh, the Lord has saved me and you know I have a relationship with him. And so in the midst of that, I get to do this ministry, and so I can tell you what I've learned from my experience and from what I'm reading in the scriptures, but definitely not uh, trying to claim to have arrived to be an expert. I'm still a young guy. I'm 28. I've got a wife. i got two babies. i got one that's born, one that's about to be born, so i got one on the way, and uh, my daughter, Maren, is two years – or, well, she's a year and a half, and she is definitely um, – the best she's super cute super fun she's at a she's at that stage where she's a handful i mean she's right now like running around the starbucks uh we're in this little side room so it's okay because we got our own place here in the starbucks but yeah she's like running around she just chucked my cell phone so i'm gonna go see if that's still a thing um after this but yeah she's the best and she's just learned to walk and play and stuff so she's having a blast right here in starbucks so yeah that's what's up that's awesome I'm glad to hear that. And I do want to get into, I've, I've seen you on your blog and stuff like that. Use the, the term church revitalization. I want to get into that, but first I do want to hear some of your story. Cause I know partly about it and I know a little bit of it and whatever you're comfortable with uh, sharing with me, just tell me how you became sort of uh, the senior pastor, as you called it, of Griggs Memorial in Greenville, just because I think it's a fascinating story. And I think it really sheds a good light on God's will and just sort of how it's not always what we see at first. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, I hope I remember to come around to that last part. God's will is not always what you think it or what you see at first or what you would think it would be. Yeah. Um, Lots to say on that topic, but yeah, so basically when I was in college um, in Greenville, uh, one day, and I'm telling you the story as I remember it, not necessarily the, I mean, I, it is, I, at the time I wasn't paying attention. I didn't think it was that significant what was going on. So let me tell you what I think I remember. Okay. Somebody, a friend of a friend invited either me or a friend of mine. I'm telling you, it's that, it's that big to basically visit a church called Griggs Memorial Baptist Church because someone we knew were, was playing piano or something that day. Um, and 
that was for some reason something we would want to go be around and see. And so, you know, we go and it's about at the time it was a 200 seat auditorium with about 20 folks there. So obviously a lot of room. And the pastor was this guy who was just awesome. He loved Jesus, preached the gospel with his whole heart. He was an older guy. He was retired and was basically, I guess you could say, just helping out. But he just kept doing it for like, I think he did it for 12 years. So 12 years ago, let's say, um, they had a like a staff pastor. And for one reason or another, he had to, to, to leave. And so we're looking for a pastor. This guy who's retired but in the community said, you know, I'll help you out. And then he just was just kind of helping out for 12 years, but he was preaching every week. And so we really liked him. We really um, liked the 20 people that were there because I'll tell you, they loved Jesus. They were on mission um, in a lot of ways, even though, you know, you might say, well, the church is really small. Well, these people were in a tougher area than you might imagine too. And we are still to this day in Greenville, but at the same time, I mean, these were really nice folks. And so we said, you know, let's, let's go to church here. You know, like that is just kind of, I don't remember every detail of every conversation, but it's kind of like that. And so what was interesting at the time was um, I was in charge of about, I guess I'll say 50 guys at my college. I was what they called a chaplain. I taught Sunday school on Wednesday night prayer meeting for about 50 guys. And so I stood up in the next Wednesday night prayer meeting with my, my guys. And I said, look, we found this church. There's a lot, there's some people of Jesus here. Pastor's great. Um, our friends playing piano. There's some opportunity to even do some work around the church. There's probably some opportunity to do some, some upfront stuff too. Cause we had, you know, it's Bible college. Got a lot of guys who want to serve in both behind the scene capacities and upfront capacities. And so we went and I literally brought 50 people. So we, we went from 20 to 70 and we should have reported that to outreach magazine. Cause we've really gotten in the top hundred, <laughs> no doubt. For growth. It's like, I don't know what percentage that is, I guess a million or something. But anyway, so, so yeah, I brought like 50 people, like literally, and um, they brought friends and girlfriends and stuff. And so we actually grew the church quite a bit and we did it for about two years. And the senior pastor loved young people, particularly young people in the ministry. And so he let us preach. He let us sing. He let us lead worship. He let us do outreach events. I remember doing Thanksgiving dinners and outreach preach, like preaching type events, like evangelistic uh, type events. Um, he let us do all that. And so we all got a lot of experience through going to this church. Well, after I graduated, I did an internship at a church in Greenville called Grace Church, which is like the, a multi-site church that is, at the time, it was 3,000 people now. This is, uh, my gut tells me it's 6,000 people. I was just on staff there for 10 and a half years, and it, it was ranged between five and 6,000. So I did a summer internship at Grace. Then I went out to a, a, a church in Seattle that, at the time, was about 12,000 to 14,000, and I was a youth pastor there. So it was two pretty large churches. Um, came back to Grace to be a youth pastor. So I'm back. I mean, it's a smaller church than I was at, but it's still like, you know, 5,000 people, multiple campuses. And I did particularly, uh, my, my job um, specifically was not just student pastor, but it was student pastor to junior high students because, I mean, it's a very large church. So I had 130 junior high students at just my campus. So not 130 cross campuses, just my campus had about 130 um, by the time I left, um, junior high students, you know, that's several volunteers, about 30 volunteers for small groups, 10 or so for things like snacks and band and AV. And then you got parents uh, on top of that that you're dealing with. And I'll tell you, that's a, that's a lot. Um, it's a lot of work. And it's a specific kind of work at that level in that type of a church. And it's a really good church. That church was a really good godly church that loves Jesus. But it was highly administrative. As you can imagine, I mean, you're, I mean, throwing events for, you know, with volunteers, and everything, you know, you're talking 160 plus people throwing, I mean, even just, you know, ordering pizza for 160, I mean, that's taken me an hour, you know, think through that, you know, I mean, so it's very administrative, which isn't my exact gift set. That's probably my number three or four thing. And I'm, well, I'm sure my wife would say it's like my number 10 thing or number 100 <laughs> But, um, you know, I'm still, I was, by God's grace, got to communicate and do some things like that that I really like. But a lot of the nine to five was administrative in, in a lot of ways and, and, other, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you're leading leaders basically at that point um, is what you're doing. You're leading leaders to lead kids. And so it's administrative. And so basically it was starting to get a little bit 
I could just kind of feel it, just ready to move on from that. Didn't um, didn't know exactly what that meant because you know, I, and I knew I was doing it right. Like I didn't just jet, you know, I didn't just ditch him just once one day when I just wasn't having the best day. Like I mean, it was a season of this, and so I started that season of thinking, God, what 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 are you preparing me for um, right now? And um, basically, one night everything just kind of changed. I got a call from the deacon at that little church, Greg's Memorial Baptist Church. I hadn't talked to him in five years plus. And that pastor that I told you about, that retired pastor who was killing it, um, actually ended up getting really sick. He was about 83, I believe. Uh, though you wouldn't, I mean, he was like, you know, still preaching like he was a young man sometimes. But, you know, he, um, he, was, he got sick. It was looking bad. He was not able to do anything for them. Didn't want the church to, you know, fold up. So they said, can you help us out? Um, and that's basically where that started. I said, sure, I'll come help you out. And so I started going on Sunday nights. Um, it was about uh, Sunday, Sunday nights. Is there, They have a Sunday night service. It, I'll tell you this. It was a light crowd. I mean, it was like a handful of us. And I'm being serious. Like a handful of us. And I'm sitting there going, I do not know what to do with this. You know, and neither did they. I mean, we were in a they were in a tough season because the pastor was gone and some folks had passed from when we were there the last time stuff like that um in our college years my college years and at first i didn't know i just thought i'll help you out for a couple weeks i really don't know what to tell you but after three or four weeks um just i tell you i don't think the holy spirit does this every day to everybody in every way but like i just knew like god just I'll say he told me. I uh, hope that's cool with everybody. I say he, basically, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and was like, "This is something more than just help out. This is this is an opportunity. There's something going on here that doesn't meet the eye." And so, I started digging. I talked to the pastors at my church, talked to my wife, t- read the scriptures, um, prayed daily, earnestly, um, talked to a counselor, a Bible counselor, believe it or not. And every direction I looked was maybe you should do something with this. Every direction, every pastor, every elder I spoke to, every time I talked to them, maybe you should try something here. And so one night after about four or five weeks, six weeks of that, I just invited about 10 friends to come to that service I was doing. And they hopped right in. One of them led music. One of them like uh, did some devotional thoughts or something, led prayer requests while I preached. And I was pretty nervous. I was like, man, these people are going to think I'm crazy, yo, because you're doing this switch from, you know, like here I am having this job at this kind of established church. Um, if you, or, Well, I don't know, because Griggs is established in certain sense, but it's kind of like this thriving church, like a church in a good season where it's growing a lot. And yet I'm telling you here, like, hey, I got this idea to go to this church. The Holy Spirit's definitely moving. The Holy Spirit's at this church. These people love Jesus even if there's a light number of them, you know, um, and the neighborhood needs it. And I'm just giving all these reasons. And yet I'm thinking, they're going to think I'm crazy. We went out to dinner after that service and all of the friends I invited about 10 of us were like, dude, we have got to do this. Like we have got to join this church. Like at the time it wasn't even like, well, you need, you know, to switch jobs. You need to, you know, we weren't even talking about the logistics that if you're listening to this and you're in the ministry or about to go into ministry, we weren't even talking about the stuff you would think about, right? Or what I was thinking about, like houses, like I got a family, um, you know, all this stuff, you know, you know, I think we were just like, no, we just got to, for God, we just got to join this church and go do this ministry. And so we did. And so I told the pastors at my church, they were behind me. Uh, they gave me about three months um, to figure out my situation while I was still helping at Griggs and helping at Grace as well, which is a church is called Grace Church. Um, I'd still ran, you know, the youth group and definitely completed some of those staff things, but I had till about July. So I was in, you know, um, May, I guess, early May. So May, June, July to um, kind of figure things out. And I got a job. I got a job. Um, the church did pay me, you know, part-time. I got a job uh, tutoring kids, still doing it. Even in the summers, I get that. It's uh it's hours that there's hours I can pick up. So I got a job, you know, and I speak at camps in the summers too. So, you know, I just figured it out and one by one, just things fell into place. And, um, by September I was, um, the pastor. So I was, 
helped out all summer. By September, I came in, and when we launched in September, well, I, I guess what you could say is launch. Uh, when I came in full fully in September, like we're gonna, you know, Mitch is gonna pastor, and we're going to attempt to what we call revitalize the church. Like we are going to be, you know, actively doing outreach, actively seeking lost people, actively, you know, moving forward. We're leading this thing again. Um, we started with about 30, and that was in September of 2015. Now we've baptized eight people. We've seen about 20 people join the church, and so we're running an attendance of about 60 now. So very small, but still, um, I'll tell you, a lot of intimacy with God, a lot of spiritual growth. And I think the God's will piece that's interesting, and I know I'm going way long. I'm really long-winded, but, but no, I'm, no, no, it's good. Pastor, so it's going happen. But I'll say the God's will thing that is interesting. Now, God's will is obviously, you know, you got to, I don't know if we're going to define that term or whatever, but the idea is that could be taken a lot of ways by a lot of different portions of the Christian body. But I'll say God doesn't always want you to go on to something that looks to the human eye as bigger and more prestigious or bigger and better or whatever that might be called. Um, God wants you to do what he wants you to do. He wants you to do what's next on his calendar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And a lot of times as young men in particular, and sometimes rightfully so, because we got to start our lives. We got, you know, we don't have houses and, you know, 401ks and we got to do some, we got to start our lives in a lot of ways. And we need sometimes looking to the future of, you know, it's actually a godly thing for us to look for, you know, how do we provide, how do we go further a little bit so that we can, you know, establish ourselves as men, you know, and provide for our family, all that. That's not really bad. Sometimes that's even good, but I'll tell you, God doesn't to a T need us to think like that. Uh, sometimes he does, like I would say there's times where he calls us to think like that. Um, but he doesn't necessarily call us to always think like that. And there are times, I mean, I'll just say this, there are times where God's next move for you in a sense, in a human sense, not maybe in a divine sense or theological sense, will look smaller, right? I was leading 130 kids and, you know, 40, whatever, or whatever it was adults. And then I went to leading like, you know, 30 people total, right? There's a sense in which to some people that might look like a step. Um, there are people who might say, and I do not view it like that. I just want to be clear. Like I did not view it like that at the time because of the way the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. It just didn't feel that way. But I actually was more nervous <laughs> to believe. I was more uh, in my heart and what God was preparing in me. It was a big deal. But there are people who looked at me a little bit and were like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you, what's your next move? You know, and I'm sitting there like, yeah, this is what Jesus is doing. And every Every day I've known, sometimes you're in a job where you don't get to know like every day if this is what you're supposed to be doing. But there are times where you click with something and you're like, yeah, this is definitely my spot. Like God has told me to do this. This is working. This is um, the Holy Spirit is blessing this in a way that you could tell it is, um, you know, just special. And so I guess that's one of the lessons that's interesting is that we have some of our generation of ministers see people climbing and think that's what God does. And the idea is that is sometimes what God does. Sometimes you go back and forth on whatever ladder you've constructed in your mind. Cause in God's mind, that ladder don't exist anyway, because people are people, whether you've gathered <laughs> a or a bunch, you know, <laughs> so the cross, cross don't think that Jesus doesn't think like we do. And so that's a little lesson that I think I've been able to share with others through that process. So there you go. There's like a half an hour of answer right there. I hope that's cool. With you. Sorry, <laughs> no, that, <everybody. laughs> that's perfect. I love, I've heard part of the story before when we connected again a couple months ago. And I just love hearing that story just because, you know, I wasn't going to get into it this soon, but I think it's good to just because it's organic, but the idea of God's will is such a, muzzled and like muddied thing and you know i think that just really shows because you know recently i've been thinking about i think sometimes we want god's will to be sort of like those ameritrade commercials you know where like that green line appears in front of us and tells us where do we can go to make sure we have a good 401k or whatever it is like we want that green line and that arrow that says this is where you need to go and it leads us to whatever end we want and sometimes I think we think that way, but I think a lot of the times God's will is not as precise as that. It's a little more organic and fractured sometimes. And it goes through some of the brokenness in your own life. But oh, absolutely. in the end, you know, where you are now is 
a lot different than probably where you thought you would be, but you are in God's will. And I just think that your story, I think really does, you know, you may not think this, but I do. It sheds, I think it sheds a unique light on that fact. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, you know, I think God's will is, I think the one thing I've learned is that, uh, I guess Ecclesiastes three says there's a time for war, time for peace, time for joy, time for tears, time to hug, time to not hug, uh, which surprised me because I always want to hug. But, um, <laughs> you know, the idea is, actually, I sounded really weird. I guess that's, that was supposed to be funny. That's not that funny. Um, big idea <laughs> is God's will is not um, super predictable. And it also doesn't always look the same in your own, you know, and it also doesn't always come up the same way. I've had times in my life, like just time, like where it was like all internal, like I can sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me in an internal way. There's been times where it was all just the black and white on the page of the scripture. Like the scripture says this, this is what I got to do next. There's been times where it's been others, right? Elders, pastors, brother, and not, it doesn't have to be a pastor, brother or sister in Christ who loves God and loves you telling me something. And I know God is telling me something that is his will, if you will. Um, it's, you know, I'm sure people, I'm not the biggest reader. I'm sure people have this with certain Christian books written by godly dudes who love the scriptures and love Jesus, but the God can speak and God can do all kinds of stuff. And so, well, I think the only, the mistake I want to highlight would be if you think God's will is always leading you in, I guess the American dream direction, where it's going to be a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, die heaven. Um, I think you're missing out on a whole bunch of seasons. You're missing out on looking for a bunch of seasons that he is going to use to grow you and to reach a lot of people, Yeah, uh, which is what God's will is all about. Um, and so I, w- I guess my encouragement on the God's will thing is um, to look at the life of Jesus, right? He was a carpenter for a while, stable, right? Uh, looks like he was taking care of his brothers and sisters, or we don't know, but it might have been that Joseph passed away because on the cross, he only mentioned taking care of, he mentioned John taking care of Mary, right? So it was mm-hmm. probable, not for sure, but probable Joseph wasn't around. So he had this stability in his life, right? Then he turned 30 and was broken homeless, and yet always in the will of God. And to be sure, always joyful. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the cross, I mean, I know there was, there was pain in it, just like there's pain for us following the will of the Lord. But the idea is, look from, don't be surprised when God's will is more messy than you uh, heard it was going to be at camp. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. And now a quick break for a word from my partners in ministry, Dead Men. Hey, everyone. Have you checked out Dead Men at www.deadmenstuff.com yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Dead Men exists to equip disciples and grow leaders. We do this through Christ-centered articles, devotions, videos, a podcast, and free resources like books. Dead Men presents the gospel in a straightforward and intentional way. Check us out today at www.deadmenstuff.com. Now, back to Mitch. Well, and that's the thing, too. I think a lot of the times the gospel is a lot messier than we make it out to be, too. Just because we're dealing with messy people and it's not clean and it's not cut and dry. There's a lot of, you know, brokenness. And I think if we're afraid to, you know, engage and invest in, 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 you know, sort of enter that brokenness, we're going to be missing out, as you said, on a lot of opportunities to reach out to people who need, you know, that hope or that encouragement to know that that brokenness can be healed. And I just think, Man, it's just it's so cool to hear that you're you've been able to, you know, engage in sort of that brokenness around you, you know, in amongst you. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, I know sort of the church scene. Um, you know, Greenville is it's not you know, it's not the most unique place in the world, but having grown up there and been around the people there, I would say as far as the church scene, quote unquote, goes the atmosphere of Greenville is, I would say, almost unlike any other, just because there's such an influx of churches and denominations and church backgrounds and all sorts right. of things and churches popping up on corners, you know, every hour, uh, seemingly. Um, right. You know, kind of what makes 
Greenville so interesting or complicated, I could, if I could use that word, complicated a place to build and, as the word you use, revitalize a church? Well, I'll tell you, um, let me just tell you, Greenville, there's a couple things that you can, you can say. Greenville, um, there is some tricky parts to this for our city in that we do have a lot of church. And I will say like, that's, that's not a bad thing. Right. So there's a lot of times, you know, Oh, another church in Greenville. That's kind of a phrase we hear a lot by, you know, certain people. And this, this idea is like uh, another church anywhere is God's grace. And of course they'll come back and say, you know, well, you know, there's all these unreached people and you know, that's true. Um, and so the idea is we want to ch- plant churches in Greenville and there. So, and I would say, yeah, that's true. And I'm not, you know, done with my life. You know, I, I'm going to be at Griggs for a long time, but you know, I, I've been to Seattle, which at the time was pretty unreal. Uh, well, it was at the end of that, but there was a time right before I got there where it was one of the most or the least cities, right. Or at least church cities, you know, um, in America. And so, you know, it's both, right. So, Planting a church in Greenville and planting a church in an unreached area or a, or a more unreached area, um, both have its complications. But I say um, it's not bad to plant a church in the South. It's not bad to plant a church in Greenville. It's actually God's grace. I mean, God doesn't look at a bunch of churches and go, all right, you're done, right? The, the reward for a church is more church, right? He's like, wow, you all did a bunch of work. Like, we're the Bible Belt, and some people think— Wow, they just have all these churches. Well, the truth is, it's not just a bunch of churches that pop up because of culture. There is some of that going on. You hear about that. But we got a lot of hardworking Christians who are really striving to reach where they live, right? We got a lot of people who really love Jesus, who are really who are fighting the good fight. And um, God's grace on us is to launch out and plant even more churches to reach even more people. That's kind of the deal, right? Multiplying. And so I will say the first thing I kind of just want to just like a little disclaimer is like, it's complicated to plant a church in a really churched area, but it's not bad. It's not lazy. It's not, it's, it's, you know, it's actually God's grace to be doing things like this. And I will say what makes it complicated is interesting um, because it's not what you would think. The lost don't make it complicated. Now, when you're and this is just experience, I'm not a church expert, but when I was in Seattle um, around a lot more, a, a lot uh, more unchurched culture in, in, in general, Right. Um, right. A lot of times you're a little um, like, well, you know, I'm trying to invite lost people to church, but they have all these bad ideas on what a church is or the, to them. It's a list of fairy tales that we talk about every Sunday or whatever. So here the lost, um, I actually sometimes are. And I know it sounds weird and I don't even know if I'm saying this right, but almost easy in a sense, like. Lost people have heard about God. They believe in God a lot of times here in the South. They're not super closed off to God. There might be some bitterness, like maybe they had a tragedy in the past and they've struggled with some bitterness towards God, but they at least know he's there, right? It's not a fairy tale to them. It's not like, so really reaching the lost is not the, the trickiest part of, in my personal experience of church planting here in Greenville or what we would call church revitalizing, right? A lot of times it can be actually more, uh, the, uh, it can be more, Christians, right? And so um, now, by God's grace, I'll tell you, I'm I'm not necessarily talking about grace, and this is just God's grace. Not because our church is better than any other church. Not because you know we found some secret formula to be the best church. But we have just got by God's grace some dedicated Christians who have come in and loved others and loved Jesus and have dedicated themselves to the the mission that we're on. So it's not necessarily this isn't necessarily to a T. From Griggs experience that we've had a little bit of this, I would say um, it's easy though here's the complicated part it's easy to see let's just say I'm just going to generalize it it's easy to see a young couple come in because they saw you let's just say on Facebook um, and they'll say, and maybe they'll say I, and I'm not you know think about anybody in particular by any means I'm just kind of making stuff but like the idea would be like Okay, yeah, dude, you guys are on a mission here. Oh, you're reaching the poor because that's, by God's grace, some of what we're doing. Oh, you're reaching these people who are far from God. This is so inspiring. This is so amazing. We're in. You say, that's great. Um, That's so cool. And then they come for like, let's just say six weeks, and they start to get really involved. Everyone knows their name. And then um, 
they get a neighbor and their neighbor moves in from, you know, 30 minutes away and they talk to their neighbor and their neighbor says, oh, I go to this church. Would you visit? They say, oh, yeah, I would love to go to your church. So they go to that church and that church is on mission too. And that couple goes, oh my gosh, you guys are on mission. This is amazing. You know what? We're in. And all of a sudden we haven't seen them in, you know, four or five weeks, give them a call. And they're like, oh, we're going here now. And you're like, oh, well, we made all these plans for you to serve in this way or whatever, or we were really enjoying your fellowship or whatever. And so I have seen, I would say part of my experience is you're trying to gather a group to live on mission. And there is some complication in the idea that they got a lot of options that all are really inspiring and actually probably are really inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, And since there's so much church and the complication would be, in certain circumstances, um, basically convincing people the be- of the beauty of staying in a church on mission for the good of that area for an extended period of time, committed, not in a legalistic way, but just committed in a Holy Spirit way, whether that church is super fun at the time or super boring at the time or super exciting at the time or going through a rough patch. And some of that can be some of the complication, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of now, like, I, I really, it's kind of, I have seen this a lot. I'll be honest. Like, and I'm not, I just, our church has just got a lot of good people who have stuck with us by God's grace. Um, but I have seen a little bit of it and we see a little bit of it in our friends who are doing planting or revitalizing the area. You just got a lot of folks who, uh, in the South who think that they're following Jesus and they'll literally be committed and psyched you know you'll see their facebook three or four times a year wow we just started going here and it is so great it's so much better we're being fed then in six months or whatever it is you know i'm just making that up but whatever it is you know a very a shorter amount of time than you would think commitment would mean oh we're here now oh it's just amazing we're fed here you know it's amazing so there's some complication in that arena i would say Mm -hmm. if that answers the question i will say um that's just one thing and it's not necessarily everybody's experience but I'd say that's that's something. Hmm. Yeah, I I would say that too because I've I've experienced exactly what you've been referring to firsthand. Right. You know, I think because again, like you said, the options in Greenville aren't a bad thing. It's just that you know sometimes I think uh, pastors tend to put up their guards, so to speak, whenever someone is thinking about leaving the church or does in fact leave a church to go somewhere else. There's a certain guard that's put up and, you know, maybe some of it is legit, but sometimes it's often we want to kind of protect our own, so to speak. And from what I've seen, sometimes it's sort of like this little jealousy about this church is getting these people and I'm not being able to keep these people or whatever, what have you. And I think that's sometimes what makes Greenville such an interesting place is just cause yeah. it kind of creates these little clicks sometimes. Um, Absolutely, yeah. and I just think it adds a lot more complication for lead pastors to try and to remember that regardless if they go to your church or the Baptist church on the next block, we are still the body of Christ and we are right. still serving under one banner and one cross, which reads it is finished. And I think sometimes we forget that. Absolutely. I think, you know, and I think there's some things you can do to combat some of that jealousy and some of that thought. Um, One thing I try to do is hang out with as many other pastors in my, even my neighborhood, if I can, Um, uh, though I haven't gotten a ton of good connection with them yet. But I did this today, even have lunch with about five guys in my area, within a, you know, five mile radius, probably. Um, And you know, those pastors, and you hear their stories about how they're doing what you're doing. I'm telling you, Greenville's got a lot of churches, but they got a lot of churches. And there are, you know, you have your stereotypical kind of, I guess you could use the word dead churches who are kind of doing the religious thing, kind of going through the motions. It's not that that doesn't exist, but we do have a lot of pastors who are living on mission, loving their people, truly preaching the gospel, keeping the book of Acts going. And when you meet those guys and have lunch with those guys, there are times where I've seen a couple try us at like, Try us out, not in the unspiritual sense, but in the spiritual sense of like, is this where we're called to be on mission? Mm Because they know that there's something going on at our church and maybe they're sitting in the back of a big church somewhere and just not for some reason, or maybe they just got saved or whatever the the thing is. For some reason, they're not 
engaging mission, right? Church revitalization, church plants is a great way to kind of boost that in your life. If that's a season that you need to be in of like really, really serving heavily, like hitting the ground running on mission. And so they'll see like, okay, what we're doing is it matching up with their spiritual gifts or whatever it might be. And they'll go down to another church and, and, and connect. And if I know that guy, it's actually a good thing. I'm like, thank God they're there because I know they're hearing the scriptures. I know they're living on mission. They're in community. How do you want to say it? You know, they're, they're with the brethren, you know? And so there's some joy there actually. So there's some ways to turn that around. And I'd say the other thing too, is just, um, just understanding what mission is will help you as a pastor. Okay. So like, um, for me, my, the big thumbs up for us at Griggs is lost people who don't know Jesus coming to our church and not, um, not that that's not every church, but I'm just saying for us, like we, we really smile when someone particularly from the neighborhood we're in, because that's kind of our mission field in our mind. When a lost person from around that area or a person who's hurting, maybe they are saved, but they're not going to church. They're hurting. Maybe they've, um, you know, not been, enjoying their status as a son or daughter of God through the cross. You know, they haven't been living a gospel centered life. Um, you know, we want to reach those guys when they come, that's this big thumbs up. And if they leave, then we're kind of like, okay, what did we, what can we do to either bring them back into the fold? Are they leaving for good reasons or bad? And we're following up We're that's, that's, that's this question mark for us. And what that does is releases, if there's people who want to come and hear the message not that there's a lot of people who are lining up to do that, but if there was, you know, they're coming because there's a friend of theirs of, or who goes there or they, you know, or just, they just go to church somewhere every week and they happen to come to ours for a little while and they leave, but they're Christians. We know they're Christians. They're not in our neighborhood to a T. Not that you have to be in our neighborhood, obviously, to come to our church, but you got, I guess you get what I'm saying. The idea is if they are, um, you know, part of our community, you know, but I guess not you know, who were really striving, like really striving, like top priority striving to reach and they move on. Our hope is to follow up with them and see that they've moved on to a church that, you know, preaches the Bible and all that and make sure that they are engaged in community the best we can. But we don't sweat that as much as, okay, we discipled this person from lost to found, from baby Christian to growing Christian. That's where we're like, okay, we really want you to, if by God's grace, if it's called, if you're called, you know, if you really, if you feel led, you, you know, we're, we're hoping you commit to this body because we're investing in your journey, you know, and we've, you know, we've seen you come from darkness to light. You've gotten saved here. You're growing here. That person, um, I'm really hoping, you know, because we are taking so much time, um, you know, to see them grow. We're really hoping that, like, you know, is who sticks around, I guess, is how you should say that. Because, yeah. you know, that's kind of our mission. I don't know if that is said exactly right. Because, you know, sometimes when we talk about these things, it's not that we don't love everybody, want everybody to come, everybody to stay. But that's really where we want to worry. Is like, all right, the people we've led to Christ, where are they at this Sunday? That's mm -hmm. where we want to worry. Now, I will say also is that that's probably because we hope that that's who we're hanging out with and mm -hmm. engaging in community with. And so once they're really part of our community, the idea is they're probably going to stick with us because, you know, for a while now, you know, like I said, I've only done this in September, so it hasn't been years or anything, but for a little while, you know, we've been the person they call when they're hurting or we've been the place they go when they have questions. And so, you know, we've invested and that's the person and it's like, all right, you know, where are they at this Sunday? And if people come and go on the side of that, you know, you ask questions, you love them but you hope not to um, view whatever that is going on with, with some of that as what God's doing in, in your church. Does that make sense? Or is that not yeah. make sense? No, it does. And it, I think it's almost as if you've, you've sort of found your niche to use that terminology right. and you found what your mission is. And I think that's really right. important for a church and maybe it's easier for a small church to do that. I'm not sure, mm -hmm. but I think it's important that you have found that. And like, this is what our mission is. And regardless, and we, of course, you know, you want people to stay in your body, but even if they don't, you know that you're fulfilling your mission because you're reaching. The right. I guess that's a good way to put it. Right. That, yeah. As long as we're on mission, fulfilling our mission to the people we think we're supposed to help um, in particular, not, you know, just in our geography, mm -hmm. as long as we're doing that, we're released from worrying exactly. you know, 
oh man, those two or three families came. They were awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe they're uh, quote unquote looking. You know, we're in the south, so we talk like this, right? Maybe they're looking for a church. Yeah, that's so, a you know, being the church. There's a lot of you could say on that, but they're looking for. They're shopping for a church. Some people say, and I always think that's kind of funny. But anyway, point yeah. being is, you're a lot less worried about that as long as you're doing your thing. I, well, and yeah. I tell you, if anybody has any questions on what I'm saying, definitely email me because I know some of that gets muddy. Where you know. <laughs> You might think, oh, well, does he not care about people? or was it? But just let me know because I'd love to answer those questions in a more specific way. Well, if they would accuse you of not caring about people, then they don't really know you that well because you care a lot more about people than I think a lot of people around me do times 10. Um, no, thanks for saying that. That's nice. I would also say, too, that the idea of like finding your mission, I also think goes back to what we were talking about earlier is just, you know, finding God's will in this, if you can use that terminology in the fact that you don't know, you know, sort of what their path is. And yes, you've raised in like, not you personally, but you have seen them come from darkness to light, but you don't really know if their path is, you know, still with you or not. And to try and halt halt them or hinder them from moving on in some senses is is i think against god's will because you don't know what well, god's will for them well you never want to control people controlling people is not love you know unless it's like your two-year-old or something then it's <laughs> love but you know i mean you know controlling other believers is not love jesus told us or well, peter told us through the holy spirit you know he's like dude yeah, shepherd them, not in a domineering way under compulsion, but eagerly because you like them, you love them. And so I'll tell you, uh, the quickest way to become a cult is to try to is try, try to, you know, twist people's arms to stay, which is real weird. You know, it's all of a sudden, you know, I mean, I follow up as a brother, like, hey, where are you at? Like, what are you up to? Are you, you know, because there are times when people leave for either leave to go be in darkness out of community, right? Um, you follow up because that's your duty. But at the same time, if they're like, well, you know, we really just felt like there's a better fit over here or whatever. If that does happen, which I'm telling you, at Griggs, it has happened a ton. But, you know, if that does happen, you say, you know, well, let me uh, let me let me uh, catch up with you in a couple of weeks to make sure that, you know, this is going well. And you 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 let them know that you're always there for them if they do need any help from a pastor and uh, or, you know, uh, if you're a leader in the church, a leader, you know, um, but yeah, you don't want to domineer people into sticking with you because at that point they're not with you anyway, exactly. right? Um, they might be sitting in your pews, but they're not—they're not, they're not uh, experiencing the beauty of unity that we see in Acts two, you know. And, mm-hmm. and thus, they're not really—they're not really experiencing church. So you let them go, and you know, some of that. I will say, I guess what we kind of the underlying thing we haven't really straight up said is a lot of that is because these people who've grown up in church including myself at times don't get me wrong i'm no better than anybody else by any means but like you know their church they're going from church to church so frequently out of immaturity and mm-hmm. so that's why you're like that there's kind of an underlying thing that maybe we haven't even said outright is this idea of like when you're in a church revitalization project like we are and we're trying to reach in particular we really want to reach people who are struggling hurting or lost hopefully um you know you see people who know all the lingo if you will, and they actually know the Bible and they've been in church a long time and can do churchy stuff. Like they can minister in certain ways. And yet um, in the South, you're kind of constantly sifting through and saying, all right, which one of these guys really means it? And which one is kind of fulfilling something they are checking off a list or they grew up in this. And they're actually kind of showing a sign of immaturity. And there are churches in the South, there are churches in our area. There's churches in Greenville who have designed themselves. There are bodies who have designed themselves to basically take in those people and do some reconstruction, if you will, like showing them some of these, the error of their ways in some ways, where it's like, hey, you're culturally Christian, but you're not saved, or you're saved, but you're thinking that the church is all about you and you're looking for a church you like, quote unquote, versus a place where you're using your spiritual gifts to redeem the world. Right. They'll take those people in and also they'll take out the disgruntled church people who used to love going to church. And then one day some somebody was mean to them or spiritually abused them. And it was actually serious because there is serious stuff too going on. And they're now upset with God, upset with church, burn out on church. There's churches who design everything they do kind of around those people, like almost re-churching, re, I would say as silly as it sounds, re-churching people. Right. And that's just not what we're doing. We're actually in a neighborhood 
um, who needs who needs um, the gospel in a way that's almost uh, instead of revival, we almost need revival. Like we're starting in some ways. We got a little bit of a mission field over in our neighborhood. Like we are, we are one, not the only church over there, but there's a couple other churches doing some really great work, loving loving these people. But we're in a place that. Um, needs to come to church for the first time. <laughs> so that's what we're up to personally. Well, I think too, what, just what you were talking about, you know, you do your pastoral duties to follow up with people, even if they leave your work. But I think too, on that, I think it kind of is a simple and yet subtle reminder of just uh, God giving you a little bit more humility than maybe you want to f- be spoon fed. <laughs> and maybe right. in that instant, you know, maybe you can speak to this, but um, it's easy to sometimes find your identity as a pastor and the amount of people that you're reaching. But I think sometimes too, if you can release the idea that your identity is wrapped up in all the people that are around you, and instead it's wrapped up in Christ, there's a lot of freedom there. And I think that's a lot of the times people come and go, but your identity remains the same. You are, just a person, a cog that is in this mission for the gospel. I think that's super important. Well, you know, let me speak to that and then I'll let you go. But let me just, let me speak to that. Especially if who listens to, you know, this particular podcast is ministry minded folks who think they either want to do ministry or doing ministry, used to do ministry. The identity piece is, is, is the biggest deal because it has to do with your personal relationship with Jesus. Yep. Um, and your personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm preaching to me, I really am, but let me just tell you, that is where ministry comes from. You can do a lot of ministry looking things without having a personal relationship with Jesus, or, 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 or I'll say it this way. You can do a lot of ministry stuff out of your own strength that looks like the Holy Spirit, but mm. real ministry is not anything short of a result of your walk with God as a Christian. That's right. It's a result of that. So, Identity is the biggest deal, and one of the biggest hindrances to a gospel-centered identity is the size of church because we're that's who we are as Americans, particularly in our region, which for me is the South, right? It's this idea, like the first question is, what's the name of the church? The second question is, how many do you run? How many people, right? And there's, for some reason, it's, it's just how we roll. That's just what we think. But let me just tell you, who's not asking that question second, Jesus, <laughs> like if he was to ask about your church, I mean, you know, humanly speaking, like not, obviously he knows everything, but you know, he, that would not be his number two question, right? Um, it would not be on the top of the list, right? He cares about like a hundred things before he cares about that. I mean, you can go into some logic here, right? If growth was the sign of God's grace, uh, or, or let me say, if it was the main sign or the preeminent sign or the only sign of God's grace, right? Wouldn't like the Muslims be winning? Like when they, cause aren't they growing like, mm-hmm. like by some crazy percentage every year, right? Like wouldn't mm-hmm. um, certain churches that in our particular line of theology that we love all the brothers, there are churches who we would say are not preaching Orthodox theology that are growing like crazy, right? Or do they have God's grace and they're denying the power of the, the blood that bought them, right? And they're, they're, maybe they're, you, you know, maybe they're um, in some way, um, you know, not preaching the word, I don't know, not preaching the word, right? They're not preaching the beautiful gospel of, of, of our sin, Jesus' death, his resurrection, and that being the payment. You know, they're not in some way emphasizing that or even believing that, and yet they're growing, all right? And you say, is that God's grace? Well, it's, see, the growth is one of the many signs of God's grace, but it's not the preeminent only or first sign of God's grace, right? And right. so, um, you just got to know that Jesus isn't asking how many people are coming. And, um, but at first, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a question ever to the team. I mean, like if there's you and your wife only for seven years, I don't know that you're going to church, but I just say like, you know, it's, 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 it's gotta be put down the list for us. Right. Even in our conversation as men in the ministry or women in the ministry, you know, even a practical silly thing we can do is just not ask that all the time because yeah. it's, and uh, there's some strategic things that really matter when it comes, you know, you've got to ask that question, but as far as, you know, Hey, how many have you baptized? How many people are in your church reading the Bible on a regular basis for the right reasons? How many people in your church 
have, you know, embraced a totally crazy lost sinner and invited them over for dinner, you know, this type of thing, there's a lot more, there's a lot more evidences of God's grace. And as a pastor, what you got to do is look to more than size, uh, to, to, to say, yeah, God's, you know, God's working here. And, um, with the identity piece, I would say the idea is, um, is really, are you being faithful? There's a few ways you could say, are you being faithful to your spiritual gift? So if you're a pastor and you are, see like me, okay, I am primarily a communicator from the stage. Uh, Of course, you know, I'm saying from the stage as in like, you know, that's how we roll here in this country, but like I'm a preacher. I love to teach and preach the Bible. I know from other elders who have talked to me over the years, that is for sure a gift of mine, probably my number one gift. Well, you know, to do that, to be faithful to that right now, um, I have got to work part-time as a tutor still. Like, so I'm, I'm working every day and my wife's working a little bit part-time at a clothing store. I'm working every day as a tutor. And, and yet I would not say that I am less of a pastor than a guy who's full-time um, because I am doing what Jesus gifted me to do. He didn't necessarily give me to be real administrative all the time. I can handle some of that, but he didn't really gift me to do that a lot. Now I could go down the street and take a job where I teach a little bit and administrate a lot for like, I don't know, a college ministry or what have you, maybe another church. Right. And I could get a full-time gig or whatever, doing that full-time job, right. Salary benefits, whatever. Um, and I could go to the lunch and say, yeah, I'm full-time at so-and-so church. Right. And I, and that, and going back to the God's will, I could do all that and wrap my identity in that and be miserable because I'm not really in God's will hmm. because my identity is in the fact that I'm full-time somewhere, which Paul never was apparently. I don't know, maybe he was, but I, you know, he made tents, right? And there's other guys you could go throughout history who weren't, who were great preachers, right? And the idea is, look, there's another piece. Like, are you full-time? you bivocational? Do you do this and do you do youth and music or whatever, right? Um, you know, the idea is really you got to wrap your identity up in obviously the, the blood of that cross, the empty tomb. But then the other thing is, Are you really using your spiritual gift? And I'll tell you, interestingly, I think we know when we are. And so, I don't know, that's kind of a lot. It's a ramble. I rambled on that one. But that's not an identity and crowd size identity as a pastor. Yeah. Uh, I just say, do what you can for whoever's right in front of you. That's my part. Like, uh, if you're called to pastor people, you're called to shepherd people. And shepherds, right, they worry about the sheep and the pastor that they're in. I, I mean, you can't help the sheep in some pasture that doesn't exist yet. You can't help the sheep in the past pasture you used to be in. You can't help the sheep in a pasture you hope to be in one day or the pasture that pays the most or whatever, whatever. I mean, what, you know, not that it's about that, but, you know, whatever. Point being is if you're called to shepherd people, shepherd the people that are in your life, that's, that's pastoring, that's ministry, whether that's a whole bunch of people because we do need big, big churches or God's grace to us. We need big churches. They do some things that small churches can't do, but we definitely need small churches. Small churches do some things that big churches can't do, and we need them both. And don't wrap your identity around which size you're in. Wrap your identity in if you're through the gospel that's empowering you to live the Christian life. If you're through that, using your spiritual gift to shepherd the people in front of you. Mm, That is so good. I know you probably have to go, but I would also like to say that I appreciate you coming on and the one last question i'll have for you, you can make it as brief as you need Go to make it, it. <laughs> um is you know i began saying that the majesty's men is a brotherhood of young guys you know we're kind of a collective of of guys that just want to impact other young guys with the gospel with w- the power of what jesus has done and so if you could if you're only allowed one thing to say to an audience of young men what would that one thing be i think what I would say tonight, um, of course, assuming all the big stuff's on the table, like, you know, accept uh, Christ, uh, you know, follow Jesus, you know, some of these bigger things that are kind of obvious. I would say, don't worry. That would be my big thing. Don't worry. Um, if it's particularly young men who are listening, if that's the case, and they're either early ministry, going into ministry, um, we got a lot to worry. You got a lot to think about. You got a lot to worry about, right? There's the practical side of things, and then there's, Right, the practical side of things being, where would I, you know, do this? Would that be, an, would that be something I could do? What's that going to be like? There's some practical things, but then there's this other thing. Like, um, I feel like, you know, 
particularly with young men, the ambition piece gets huge. It's like, am I going to be recognized enough for this to satisfy me almost? is like, is, that's super prideful. There's a lot of weird things going on in that question, but it's a question we think through. Like, what if I do this and I'm not on something that's a big deal, like a, a stage at a conference? What if I do this? And I'm never recognized in some way. So I'm literally just like in some neighborhood somewhere, right? Uh, you know, you know, preaching at a church that all the cool preachers, if you will, would call irrelevant or whatever. Um, there's a lot that goes on in your mind. And what that does is make you strive for things that aren't actually real ministry opportunities. They're more opportunities for you to self-actualize and become the hero of your own story, like you're the chosen one, right, Harry, right? <laughs> the idea is you become like your own big deal. Like, yeah, your own story is all about you because you're worried, right, that of something that's just silly, right? My gift, you know, you, we a lot of times we think, man, my gift really needs to be heard, met, recognized. What if I, you know, what if I don't do so great at this internship, don't get on full-time somewhere, whatever it might be. I mean, I, and to be honest, as I'm sitting here, I guess I could just think through all my own worries as a young guy. I would think through not, yeah, I guess one of my worries was not not getting to where I wanted to be. And where I wanted to be was really, if I really boiled it down, I wanted to be significant to other people, I think, is if you really boil it down. And so through worrying about not being significant to other people, particularly, you know, you know basically being a pastor that was recognized, being a preacher in the ministry of some sort of recognition, I, I would strive for things that didn't really matter that much. I would preach at more things than I was supposed to preach at. I get called to go do three or four things and go do three or four things pretty okay versus doing one or two really well. I would turn down opportunities. Now, now by God's grace, I didn't really do that as much, I guess, but there was maybe a few times. By God's grace, I did, by God's grace, to hopefully take in a lot of the opportunities that were given to me. But, you know, there was still pride in some of the opportunities I may have taken faster than others or turned out. Um, and there was just things I did that weren't, that looked like it was good. looks like it was Christian, looks like it was ministry. And it wasn't, it was me trying to, um, basically make my own preaching Disney movie where at the end I'm living happily ever after. And so I just say, don't worry, just shepherd people. Like if you're in Bible college, shepherd your Bible college guys. And obviously, hopefully, you know, take some time at a church too to be a children's ministry worker, be a youth ministry worker. I'll tell you, you need to be putting up chairs, putting down chairs, setting up lights. I, I, I've done that, but not because I'm awesome or super spiritual, but I had to do I had several months of hanging up lights and cleaning off counters at churches, you know, and you got to do all that because that's, um, a good, and you got to do that once you're on staff. I mean, what you got to do that once you're leading something? Let's say you become a youth pastor, student pastor, college guy, whatever. You still, I mean, once in a while, you got to get out that broom because you still got to remind yourself like, it's about you washing the feet, serving, shepherding the people right in front of you. It's about Jesus working through you to get to them. And so don't worry because worry makes you want to propel yourself into and, and makes you want to take control of yourself and your ministry in ways that actually you're going to look super cool at first, to be honest with you. You can get yourself into some awesome situations with some awesome pats on the back from some awesome people. You can do that. Like I'll tell you, that's in the realm of possibility for most of the people listening. Most likely you can't, but let me just tell you, uh, I know a little bit of this from personal experience, but I know a little, a lot of this from just reading the Bible, just because you can do that doesn't mean you're doing what God has called you to do. You're not in God's will and it's not shepherding. So, um, though, Hey, that was a great sermon, but I am, you know, if you're not, if you're not, uh, really, um, like we said, connected to your identity in the gospel and shepherding the people right around you, it may be that it wasn't a sermon Jesus liked, <laughs> uh, because I, I, I don't know. I'm talking weird now. So it must be time to go. It's like nine fifteen where I'm at. So I need to be, uh, in bed within like an hour or else i mean i'm just gonna ruin my life because um, i just i'm just loopy from working all day but anyway i i love you guys who are listening i really appreciate you brad and, and the majesty's men for having me on i yeah. hope i hope somehow i said something to help somebody um if anybody wants to hit me up on um twitter i'm just at mitch miller me at mitch miller me and i'd love to answer any questions or chat with anybody about anything. Um, you can also find me on mitchmiller.me. It's my blog. 
www.mitchmiller.me. So thanks for having me on, Brad. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. I know you have to go. I, there's so much more I'd like to get into, but I know you don't have time. So we'll definitely have you on another time. We can probably get into more depth and we can get into more ramblings. But thanks for your time. And I hope you have a good night, Mitch. Yeah, good night, Brad. Later. Thanks again to Mitch for joining the show today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and read his blogs on mitchmiller.me, all of which you can find in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more, be sure and follow the show on Twitter and subscribe in iTunes. And you can also follow along on SoundCloud. And if you really like what you heard, do me a favor and leave a short review. That'll go a long way for me to continue making shows like this happen. Thanks again to the folks at CSB for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Thank you.